Thank you, Allison. As, uh, before I begin, I want to mention one thing I forgot to mention is uh, we have moved all the leadership meetings that were sprinkled throughout the month to the first of the month in order to open up Wednesday night services. And so now I want to, you to know that officially, uh, Wednesday night, we're having services that we'll do in prayer and Bible study, and it gives us another opportunity to, one, study the Word, and two, to invite people. And so we're going to do that throughout the rest of the year and, and continue on. So if you haven't gotten involved with a Bible study or Sunday school, we welcome you to do that because we're going to continue to con uh, amplify that, as we'll see in the message today. All right. Are we ready to go? I think so. Uh, I had an entirely different message uh, written Thursday. I thought, yeah, this is what we want to do as we jump back into Ephesians 5. And the Lord said, no, let's see. Uh, I wrote that pastor's report, so that was done. And uh, as I began to think about I thought, we're jumping back into the new year real quickly. And so I thought, um, maybe we want to go back a little bit. And so I rewrote the sermon uh, for this day in particular, for a reason, <clears throat> as we enter into the new year, I want to I give a preface for what we're going to be doing so, so that we'll get into Ephesians soon. But let me share some preliminary thoughts as we go into. As you pray for me as your pastor, one of the things I want you to hear is this is a passage that you could always pray for me. Jeremiah three, fifteen. Because I know a lot of men who get into the ministry and they feel like the real issue is success in the ministry or they got to have numbers in the ministry or they got to be doing things that really lead them to burnout. And at 66, I'm tickled that uh, one, I'm not burned out and two, I'm still standing. And, uh, but the thrill for me is being able to share with you <clears throat> Just what God has taught me, the, the flame that I have for Christ may be small, but it is real. And you can light your candle for my candle. <clears throat> but the promise is that Jeremiah said, I will give you shepherds. And we talked about this in Sunday school. For Jeremiah, it was to a group of people who had failed, who really had lost everything in their faith. And they were taken captive. And those who are coming out of the darkness, those who are coming out of captivity, those who are in addictions, those who are in utter chaos, um, that's where I see God has prepared me to say, we have good news, really good news, to comfort those uh, who are moving into deserts so that God can build a highway and prepare the way of the Lord. But Jeremiah would say, I'm going to give you shepherds, shepherds after my heart. And that's one thing you can pray for me, is that as God would draw me closer to his heart, that's really the only thing that really qualifies anyone to have something to say. That is not me, it's not what we do, it's not our culture, it's about, about Christ himself. And so pray that for me as we start. But as you, as you see that that pastor is going to feed you with understanding and knowledge of who Christ is, which is what Paul said in the New Testament. That's what the church is all about. And as you do so, as Daniel, I picked this up from Daniel 11.32, uh, the second part of that passage, and says, but the people who know their God will display strength 
and take action. That's New American Standard. But they will display strength. That there's there's something about the Christian that that sets them apart for for the strength of their relationship, the strength of their faith. But not only are they passive, that they are active and on the move. That they have something to say. Not that they have to say something, but they have something to say. And the real encouragement is that the heart's uh, made alive in Christ. And you can have new life in Christ. And that's what we want to say. And then those who have insight among the people, they will pass that on and they will give that understanding to others. And that's the way God has always used his people is through those relationships. So pray that for me, those two passages. But one of the things I pray for you is this one, is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. A very familiar passage for many of us. But it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, since we have people watching over us, those who have gone before, not only in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but those loved ones and other, other Christians who have set the path uh, before us, uh, we have people who are witnesses. He says, we want to run that race. And he says, we want to lay aside, throw off everything that hinders us and the sin. Now that's a word we don't use much in this culture anymore. But the idea that there are things that are blocking the human heart. There's foolishness, there's sin, there's immorality, there are things that are really causing us to get tripped up. And and the writer of Hebrews says, uh, we want to deal with those things that prevent you from loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, by focusing on Christ. That we fix our eyes on Christ. And there are two things about Christ that says here. These two things I want to draw your attention to because I want to think about this in the sermon. But one, it says two things about Christ. It says he's the author and the finisher of our faith. The author and the perfecter. Um, as we get into that, uh, th- those are the two things that Jesus Christ wants to do. And that word in the NIV has changed. The NIV has a different, it says he's the pioneer. And the a- ESV says he's the founder. But I had to look those words up. And so the word comes back from the old Greek, but it has this idea that there's an architect, there's an originator, there's one who's, whose idea about what to do in your life is wrapped up in a story that he's doing. He's the author, and an author is the one who sets the plot. The author is the one who sets the times. The author is the one who knows the beginning and the end. It says Jesus is the author of our faith. But as an author, he doesn't just start a work and forget it and leave it on the shelf. He's the perfecter, the one who matures and brings it to completion. And therefore, to understand that Jesus has started something some people know that, yeah, I became a Christian at age 12 at Camp Obi-Wan Kenobi. And God hasn't done anything since then. You know, there, There's something missing about our understanding of Christ because Christ is no longer just some distant experience around some campfire. Uh, that God is working through daily every relationship and every circumstance to help us understand who he is and what he does. And therefore, as we do so, I want you to know that your 
life matters. Every day of your life was created for you to draw close to Christ and to learn and to struggle and to figure out your role in this world. And therefore, what God is doing, this is my joy, is God is doing a unique thing in you. And his story is written on your heart. And therefore, as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 3, you are our letter. Corinthians, you are our letter. That the work of the ministry is to bring about some change in the human heart that as people see, God is writing something. God is indelibly putting inside your soul lessons, uh, questions, impulses, hungers. That he's doing something in each one of you at different times at different places. But he's at work. But what he's doing in your life story is to be known and read through everybody. So you become a, a torch with two feet. A, a, a vessel of grace. As people watch how you live your life in relationships to Christ, people say, I don't know God that way. How do you get through your daily life? And Jesus would say that he who follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But as you do so, uh, you, will, you will understand that you're manifesting. There's something about manifesting Christ in all that we do, wherever we go. But what you go through, you need to understand you're not alone in it. But God has given the body of Christ to care for to be interested in and pursue. And we do a great job and we do a miserable job at the same time. <laughs> uh, so there's always this tension of what God's doing in our life because he's writing to change us from the inside out. But he's doing that through the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is writing in our life and not just words in ink, but words in the very human uh, soul. And as he does so, he does so with a point to make sure that all those who experience God's handwriting, the signature of the Spirit, will come out in the way you live your life. And so Paul would say it's not, on, it's not just an information that he's after, it's transformation that he's after in human hearts. And so as you think about that, uh, pray for me as I've been praying for you this, uh, to be understanding that that what's going on in your heart that we as a body of Christ are called. And our calling is a special calling and something that we don't know a whole lot about because we don't have a lot of input from others. But the idea that you are called to be participants or co-laborers in the ministry. The fact that the word ministry is kind of a, a, a word that people don't like don't understand. But let me change that word for you. It's so that you can become a spiritual friend. That the friendship that you offer is that what God does in you, you simply become a, a, a friend that says, he can do this in you as well. And that ministry uh, involves being involved, engaged. And so one of the passages that I share with the leadership 
last month or two months ago, is this passage in Isaiah. And this is something for the year that I want to think about as we continue to move into Ephesians. <clears throat> Excuse me. But it says, Isaiah, I want to enlarge the place of your tent and stretch forth your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back, lengthen your cords, and strengthen your stakes. And as we move into this 200th year of celebration, uh, we're going to be trusting God to do this as we move out and enlarge the place of our tent. At 200 years, God has been at work in this spot. And we're still here. But understand, he's been at work for 4,000 years before. And he's going to continue that work because he's the author and the perfecter. But notice a couple of things in this passage. It says, as we continue to go through, this tent, this tent comes from a culture that was mobile. Uh, and therefore, it was very comfortable for them to think about moving and not having cities to dwell in at that time. They were tribal. And they were, uh, often you will see caravans, families moving tents from Abraham on. But the idea that the tent, the tent of worship, the tent of the tabernacle would dwell among us is this idea that uh, you're on the move. And there's a destination for that move. But those tents uh, have these things. When you open up the curtains and you enlarge the place of the tent, you need stakes that will hold you down so that the winds won't blow you away. But you have these stakes, and I, I think of the stakes as the convictions. It's your belief systems. It's what you really hold to be true in the storms. But when you get into that, that conviction, it's to represent your convictions of your faith. And those stakes ground you. They hold you. Uh, in our Constitution, we hold these truths to be self-evident. We hold truth, but convictions hold us. And therefore, as we move into uh, understanding that what God wants to do is to strengthen and deepen your understanding of what the gospel is about. And that you understand grace in all of its fullness. And so Ephesians talks about that. But not only does he want us to strengthen our pegs, but he also wants us to lengthen our cords. And the lengthening of those ropes for the stake is, is dependent upon, again, the size of the tent. Because the larger the tent, the more length you need to hold the stability in there. But the idea, is, it, there's a capacity here. And our capacity as a church will come and go depending upon the people that are here. But the idea that Isaiah was saying, God is going to do some new work this year, I believe, I'm praying for, is that your convictions will go deep. At the same time, there'll be some expanse as new people come in because they heard your story. And therefore, your story becomes the very means, the means, the primary means of how God's going to enlarge this place. And therefore, you matter. What you go through matters. What God's doing in your life matters. And therefore, we stretch out <clears throat> the curtains. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then you become shepherds. You become shepherds, spiritual friends who pass on to others. Again, reproducing what you hear from me, you pass on to others.
And this is what Jesus said. In Luke 6.40, every man after he's fully trained, a student is not above his teacher, but every teacher after he's fully trained, he's got the degree, <laughs> he's graduated, he's got enough information that he can pass on. And, and Jesus would say, be careful who your mentor is. Be careful who your teacher is. Because everybody becomes like those teachers. You follow the leader. And for that reason, I would invite you to really question me that if I do something that's not biblical or teaching something not biblical, it's your responsibility to interact with me to help me stay conformed to the authority of the scriptures. So we all, we all help each other that way. Because if I'm off and I teach you, you might be off too. But <clears throat> the fact that you would come in and we would do it as a body of Christ, we would all learn together. <clears throat> That's the issue. <clears throat> what a teacher is, said Carl Menninger, what a teacher is is more important than what he teaches. Because it's the incarnation in the life. It's who we are and how we live and how we relate is what people see. We were talking about this yesterday at the men's breakfast. Is that sometimes it's, it's what people see and experience is how we interact with them. They may not know what our teaching is. <clears throat> they may not know our convictions. <clears throat> Excuse me. And therefore, um, there are some things that we're going to share with you that people that are mentors who do have this real influence on our lives. And so this year, as we move into the shepherding, as we move into the, the, the story writing, as we move into uh, strengthening the pegs and lengthening the cords. We're going to think about ministry and missions. And so, Rick, I appreciate your invitation to say there's a lot coming up. This year is going to be a good year. I want to begin by introducing two missionaries that uh, you want to know about. So I'll add these every now and then so that you become aware more about missions as we go through. This is uh, East Stanley Jones. Anybody hear of East Stanley Jones? Uh, e. Stanley Jones was a Methodist missionary, and he went to India, and as a 20th century missionary theologian, he's remembered because he was able to bridge the gap among the Hindus in the India, uh, country of India, and as he began to talk, uh, he had a real influence, and one of the guys he began to influence was a man you know called Gandhi. And Gandhi and E. Stanley Jones had a conversation, but Gandhi wouldn't come to Christ, and this is the reason, he says, if Christians were more like Christ, then all of India would believe. And so E. Stanley Jones was trying to get them to say that there's something that in people's lives that didn't match the scriptures. And so Gandhi refused, and India refused, uh, to, to, to respond the way they, at that time for East Stanley Jones. But he continued, and, and God still used him. But East Stanley Jones is one man I want you to know. He is a prolific author. There's another man that you don't know, and you, and you have not heard about, uh, I'm sure. But I met this man in uh, Japan. His name is Bob Boardman. Bob Boardman... Uh, is a unique man and his story is something, it's a radical story. 
As a 20-year-old, he enlisted in the Marines, and he fought in the Pacific in World War II at the 1st Tank Battalion of the famed 1st Marine Division. But he was wounded in Okinawa, in, on Peleliu, and uh, he was decorated with a silver star, had two purple hearts, but his most severe wound was in that Battle of Okinawa, where in 1945, as a young man, he was carrying a comrade from a burning tank when a sniper's bullet went right through his throat. Bob, when Bob speaks, is now with a whisper, and he can't go any higher than this. And so Bob, as a Marine, learned to struggle with his voice. I met Bob in a conference in Tokyo. And when Bob would talk, everybody would listen. Because not only was he there as a missionary back to the Japanese who shot him, he was there to represent another battle with the kingdom of God. And when Bob would talk, uh, you should hear him because in the recovery room, uh, he met a man who discipled him from the navigators. And the guy began to teach him, train him about forgiveness. And there's no greater battle than the human heart than the battle of forgiving people. And when your throat has been taken away, and he went back to the Japanese, he talked about forgiveness and reconciliation. I met Bob, and he signed a book, and, and I, got, I got a copy of, of A Wounded Warrior. But Bob represents something. His story was unique, and he was used in Tokyo and Japan for over 30 years as a missionary, and he just went home to be with the Lord uh, about, about eight, ten years ago. Well, the point is this, and here's the point of this whole message. God wants to mentor you. God is writing a story in you. What your story is going to be different than, than E. Stanley Jones or Bob Boardman or Jerry DeHart. Your story matters, and he's going to write on your heart this year, I believe, with, uh, with what's coming up in, in the book of Ephesians. So I suspended the book of Ephesians. I'll give you just a preview in a minute. But what I want you to know is this. God wants to mentor you in his ways. And as you get into the book of Ephesians, the Ephesians will talk, you'll see this all the way through the Ephesians, the contrast between the unbeliever and the contrast with the believer. Don't walk according to the Gentiles, but walk in the spirit. Don't walk in the flesh, but you're a new man. Put off the old, put on the new. And the contrast is always there going through the New Testament. But I wanted to point out one thing, that when you go into Psalm 1, you'll find that contrast that the way of the righteous man, the way of the unrighteous man. But the idea that God is going to mentor you to do what is right when you want to do what is wrong. Psalm 32, 8. I will counsel you in the way which you should go. I will instruct you with my eye upon you. And if you know that God is the author and he's the perfecter, I will hope you learn and understand and grow in this thing that God wants to mentor and teach you to hear his voice, what we talked about last Sunday. And then Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, our tendency, we have a proclivity 
to rely on our understanding. When Proverbs says, do not rely on your own understanding, because what you have come from and what your notions are of life really may not be informed by the Spirit of God himself. And therefore, don't trust everything you understand, but wholly trust on him. And acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight. Again, God wants to do a work in your life. Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways aren't your ways. And therefore, for us as believers, as, as people, we have to come with a humility and an honesty to say, God, we don't really know a whole lot about the way you think and work and live. And, and so there's, there should be some tension as we come to the Lord. And that's why Jesus said, I understand that. But every disciple who follows me will eventually learn those lessons and will become like me. And that's the whole theme that Paul says in, in Colossians 2, 6, and 7. As you receive Christ, you'll walk in him. But as we go into the idea that what Christ is doing in the Ephesians, he's doing in the Colossians and the Philippians, he does for all the New Testament believers when Joel poured out his spirit, he says, that every person who comes to Christ will be taught by the Lord himself. And therefore, your sons and daughters will learn from him because they learn from you. And so this is the message that Jesus would say, that I don't go to Jerusalem, I don't set up a rabbinical seminary, I don't do the political thing, but Jesus spent his time with 12 men. 12 men who changed the world. Uneducated fishermen. People who had different stories, different personalities, and we'll talk about that later on in the year as God disciples people individually, personally. But before I get into this, before we move into the end, I want you to know that the Bible talks very clearly about this contrast between believers and unbelievers, the flesh and the spirit. He talks about the righteous and the unrighteous. But I think there are three ways, actually. And I want to point out one more that is there for us. We know, we know when we hear about the unbelieving, the secular, the postmodern world, the flesh, we have that way that really is the darkened, uh, hard-hearted uh, group of people who reject Christ. And then there's a second, is this religious man. This religious man, is there is a way of spirituality that is religious, that is rule-bound, law-bound, that is based on culture that has expectations that you will conform to the group that you are in. And I'll talk about that briefly in a minute. But the third one is this way of the spiritual Christian. And this is what we talked about, those five bars. If you haven't got those, those uh, five bars, it's, we are Christ-centered based on revelation, based on the fact that there's, there's redemption in Christ, that God's going to restore us through these relationships. And that's that third character over there, that he is transformed from the uh, that's heart underneath there. And so you remember, you remember when Jesus came to the Sermon on the Mount. And on the Sermon on the Mount, he began to say to people, if you get your Bible, turn with me to Matthew 5, because there's something about this religious man that was really interesting. In Matthew 5, Jesus would say, in verse, beginning with uh, verse 21, Um, verse 20 for I say to you that unless your righteousness 
surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. What a statement. Because these were the leaders. These were the religious examples. These were the ones who are setting the tone and setting the pace. And Jesus says, if you're not going to surpass these guys, and he goes on to explain, as the teacher teaching the disciple who were inundated with this religious culture of the Jewish uh, system. Notice what he says in verse 21. You have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. Well, I don't commit murder. I don't do those bad things. Therefore, I'm okay. Jesus says, no, no, no. You miss it. Your standard is too low. I say to you that if you have hatred in your heart, hatred in your heart, there's a different standard that surpasses this one. I say to you, but you've been taught. You've heard this. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty. Anger. Anger is an issue that has to be transformed. But without Christ working that in your heart, it won't be touched. It won't be rewritten. But he goes on to say, notice verse 27. You have heard it was said, you should not commit adultery. That's the rule, that's the law. But I say to you, if you have lust in your heart, and you look at a woman with lust for her, he has already committed adultery. Whoa. Anger. Lust. Guilty. I've heard, you've heard that it was said. You've been told that if you don't do these things, you're okay. But Jesus says, you're not going deep enough. You're not looking in the heart where I see things. And he goes on to 31. It was said, you have been taught, it was said, whoever sends his wife away and gives her a certificate of divorce. Divorce? In our culture? Wow. But I say to you, that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reasons of unchastity makes her commit adultery. You say this, I say this. You heard this, I teach this. And again, you have heard, verse 39, that the ancients were told, you've inherited this stuff. This is your culture. This is the religious group that you're used to because you've, you're familiar with This is the way life is. You've heard, you shall not make false vows, but I say to you, make no oath at all. And therefore, when Jesus comes on the scene, he really upends everything. Because he's not interested in religious rituals. He's not interested in religious education. He is interested primarily in the transformation. And that transformation means if you're listening to Christ and you're being transformed by Christ, there is a response that you make. And that response means that what we start with Ephesians 5.1, you imitate. You become like him if he is your teacher. Now there are a couple stories in the, in the New Testament, real briefly. Jesus said to that rich young ruler, didn't he? He says, I want you to go sell everything and go give to the poor. And the rich young ruler says, eh, you know, don't think I can do that. The rich young ruler didn't want to imitate Christ. And therefore, he went this way. You know the guy who was forgiven with an incredible debt. And Jesus said, I want you to go forgive everyone. And uh, so the guy 
took what Christ said, yeah, I'll forgive him. But he went out and started demanding people. And he didn't reflect the very heart of God to forgive others. But if you are in Christ and God is doing this transforming work, you'll see what Jesus would say to, to those in the Sermon on the Mount. You, you are poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit because you don't have it together. But I'll help you get it together. But all the way through that Sermon on the Mount, Jesus was introducing a whole new lifestyle. And that lifestyle, we're going to touch, this is moving to the end. This is the story of Ephesians. And these are the six things we've been thinking about in Ephesians that we're going to pick up next week with chapter 5. But just by way of review, Ephesians 1.10, 2.10, you remember these. I hope you memorize these things. And so, that's a buzz. But there's integration where God's working to integrate the whole universe. He's incorporated us in, into baptism. We've talked about that. And we have the institution of the church where the church really is the reflection of Christ. And therefore, as we move into that, Ephesians 4, we ended up last week or last month before the uh, Christmas, is that that's why God gives apostles, prophets, teachers, and pastors to equip the saints to grow up in the body of Christ. But next week, we move into this thing of imitation. And that's when verse 1 really kicks us off. And so I wanted to get us back into speed. That what you will be prepared to hear are some real difficult things that really require response from us. And we will go into those things that really block us from imitating Christ. And we move, and let me tell you what they are. There are five things that, one section that they go into, it's how you walk and how you live your life. And what you will walk in is you walk in love, you walk in the light, you'll walk in wisdom, you'll walk in submission, and you'll walk in spiritual warfare to have victory. Those are the five points that are coming up. Because God wants to imitate his life in you in all those five areas. Well, let me stop here. <laughs> because I could go on. Just know this, that God's going to strengthen your pegs. God's going to lengthen our cords. God's going to write a story in your life. And we're here to enjoy and help and support and love that. So this year, just pray and say, okay, Lord, I'm wide open. Do everything that you say you would do and change me from the inside out. That's good news. Right?